0: Santa's dropping off way more than you expected this year. Thanks to Xfinity, the whole family can enjoy great coverage and fast, reliable internet speed up to gig, all at a great value.
1: Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.
0: And you're on right now with Jim Dawes your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Brought to you on the Mojo Five O radio network and available on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. Shoot me an email at rightnowjimdawes at gmail.com and follow me on Twitter at rightnowjimdaws. We'd love to hear from you. You can leave a voicemail at 772-245-0750. If your call's good, we'll use it on a future broadcast. That number again, 772-245-0750. Well, we've had another one of these Despicable school shootings and, of course, all of the gun control fanatics have come out and demanded that uh, that our government uh, violate the Constitution and the Second Amendment and start taking people's uh, right to keep and bear arms away from them. They don't want to actually have to go through the amendment process to repeal the Second Amendment. They just want the government to violate the Second Amendment. And they know if they were to try to repeal the Second Amendment, it would fail. And so that's why they're just foregoing that path altogether. But, um, you know, we've had enough of these school shootings. And this most recent one in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, happens to be just down the road from uh, the very first one of these uh, events at Columbine High School. And in this case, as in as was proven in the Columbine case, I suspect we will find out the uh, the school shooters, or the shooter in this case, he had an accomplice. But uh, there was only one school shooter at the uh, Highlands Ranch STEM school. We will find out that uh, he was thoroughly and completely immersed in these violent first person shooter video games, and this is. This issue has been brought up by a few people in the past, most notably uh, Wayne LaPierre and Franklin Graham and others, saying that we are warping our children's minds, letting them sit for hours in front of TV screens, um, basically becoming accomplished murderers. And uh, I know it doesn't affect every child this way. Many children have uh, the the strength and the innate understanding of right and wrong to resist this, but at the same time, there are very many weaker minds and children that are unstable that uh, whose minds are warped, as I say, sitting on the couch for hours and hours and days at a time playing these very realistic first-person shooters that are totally devoid of any humanity or empathy or right or wrong even. In many of these games, you actually play the villain. Some of them, you're shooting women and children and doing all sorts of despicable acts. And our elected representatives want to just turn a blind eye to this. And it's the same reason they're turning a blind eye to the masses censorship that we see on social media. And that's because these are hugely, hugely profitable companies that produce this filth. And they donate huge sums of money to politicians in order to protect their economic interests. And you won't hear any. Uh, in-depth discussion about this on uh, the mainstream media because the mainstream media is heavily invested in these video game producers. In many cases, they are very uh, the very same companies. Now, there should have been some concrete steps taken that would have prevented this shooting at Highlands Ranch. There should have been armed guards on the scene here in Florida, after the Parkland shooting, the legislature passed laws that required there be a uh, a police officer on the scene of all of these uh, schools in the state. And they've also empowered teachers that are specially trained and willing to do so to arm themselves in order to fight back when these events inevitably happen. And at this point, it's silly to deny that these things have become a trend, but what has changed when I was a kid, my brother used to carry a rifle on the school bus to his school where they would practice marksmanship and gun safety in the ROTC program. And it was very common throughout this nation to have shooting clubs in the school systems. (laughs) <laughs> you tell people that now, and they, they just can't believe it. But in previous generations, almost all boys and very many girls got guns as presents before they were teenagers to to teach them responsible use of firearms. It was a rite of passage. It's contained in the Second Amendment of the Constitution, and it's not just a right. To keep and bear arms. For a good citizen. It's a responsibility. To keep and bear arms. It was a legacy left to us by our founders. For a very specific reason. And that is so you don't see the type of. Government repression that we're witnessing right now down in Venezuela. And we're going to have a segment on. That topic later on in the show. But what has changed since those days. When children were able to responsibly own weapons. And I'll tell you what's changed. The uh, difference between right and wrong and the humanity that was once a part of our uh, teaching growing up has been displaced by these violent video games that, as I say, are warping children's minds. And at the same time, we're medicating highly strung students and creating a whole generation of um, mentally unstable children. And children can watch the adults behaving in popular culture and see that the adults are acting in irresponsible and mentally unstable ways. If you turn on CNN or MSNBC or any of the evening newscasts you'll see that they have totally gone off the edge and making the most irresponsible statements that you can possibly imagine. I've got a clip here. This is uh from a man that lived in the neighborhood with the Highlands Ranch school and came out to find one of the wounded children there was one fatality so far and eight wounded children some of them critically and this man was in his house when he he found one of these wounded uh, students uh, outside of his home
2: well, i came out my neighbor was on the porch she um, said somebody was shot down by the mailbox so i ran down there and sure enough there was a young teenage boy um, shot in the back and uh, he was with a friend and another teacher. The teacher called his mom, the kid's mom. I dialed 911. They told me to get him into um, the house. So I picked him up, and me and his friend took him into the house and uh, brought him into the kitchen. Um, the 911 operator said it might be, take a little uh, while to get an ambulance there. Was he talking to you? Was he, he was. He was fine. In fact, he wasn't. The 911 asked me to pick up his shirt and see if there were two holes. There was only one, um, and it was barely bleeding at the time. So the kid, um, his friend that was do- applying the pressure, did a good job. Um So when he said it was going to take a while, I kind of ran out front. I found a police officer. He helped flag down an ambulance. We got him in front of my house, and uh, the ambulance driver came up, and and we carried him down to the ambulance. So he he was talking. Um, He seemed okay. He was able to talk to his mom, so I think he'll be fine.
0: These kind of atrocities should not be occurring. Uh, Children should not have to be worried about getting shot when they're going to school. And it is up to responsible adults to do something about this. Now, the left will immediately say what we have to do is get guns out of people's hands. Well, they've got a little problem there. And that's the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. And we can't go trampling all over the Constitution to solve problems. And in this case, the solution, you could argue, would be worse than the disease because it could ultimately lead to the type of atrocities we saw in Nazi Germany and communist Russia and China. And we continue to see in these repressive regimes, Venezuela being the prime example today. They disarmed their people when the government uh, became authoritarian. And now they're unable to retake their government because they don't have the means to do so. Now, if the leftists are true to their words and they can convince the rest of the nation to alter the constitution, then there are mechanisms left in place by our founders to do that. But short of that, we need to seek other solutions. And the first thing we need to really look at, and we need to cut through all of this noise about these violent video games not having an effect on children's behavior. Of course they do. And even if they didn't, We don't want successive generations of American children growing up sitting on the couch learning how to indiscriminately kill people. This is a clip from a uh, a behavioral psychologist, Dr. Michael Rich, at the Boston Children's Hospital on the effects of video games.
3: Video games are a very interesting, powerful, and fairly new area of media to consider. Um, One of the really interesting things from a developmental sense is that they are arguably the best um, teaching tool we have or the best technologically based teaching tool we have in the sense that you are not only being exposed to um, situations and people and concepts the way you are with television or movies, but you're an active player in them.
0: See, educational specialists understand The video games are a very effective, highly effective, maybe the most effective teaching tool. So as a society, we better be damn careful what we're teaching with these video games.
3: You actively drive the narrative um, and you make decisions and choices and moves that will then change the direction of what's going on. Um, What that means, of course, is this is essentially a virtual reality um, that you are immersed in an environment with a set of conditions that you are asked by the gameplay to behave in certain ways. If you do it really well, you get rewarded. Um, You also get more complicated and interesting narratives. Um, If you do it badly, you get punished. So you are inside what psychologists call behavioral scripts. Um, And behavioral scripts are how we learn anything. It's how we learn to say please and thank you. It's how we learn to um, please our parents and to um, do well in school. Um, But if you're in an environment where, for example, you are learning um, how to play soccer well, it will help you learn soccer strategy. It won't help you kick a ball. It will help you think about how to play the game. Um, If you're in a game where you're approaching the world over the barrel of a weapon and your job is to kill them before they kill you, you will get better at that. Um, So it really is content driven um, with video games. The medium itself is neutral. We give the valence of good or bad or destructive to it. Um, Unfortunately, the most popular video games, even among very young kids, are the ones that reward you for doing violence against others. And when you think of the fact that people sat in front of a flight simulator and learned to fly planes well enough to bring the world trade towers to the ground, and we're putting our kids for fun in front of essentially killing simulators, where are we going with that? We have to really recognize the fact that there are changes in their minds, in their thinking, and their behavior that are going to come of that. Um, If there weren't changes from media, from entertainment, we wouldn't do it. So we need to go into these processes with our eyes open, understanding that um, we are changing our children we are changing ourselves and we should make sure that the changes that are happening are ones that we want
0: in the early days of these highly realistic sh- first shooter video games uh, i fell in and started playing and i was an adult at the time i guess it was back in the uh, mid-80s it was called duke nukem and it became more and more sophisticated and more and more violent And um, I caught myself trying to get to the end of this game, spending hours in front of uh, the computer screen playing this game when I realized that not only was it a massive time suck and a waste of time, but it was actually uh, doing psychic damage uh, to my mind, just killing uh, hundreds of characters on a video screen, a highly realistic scenario for hour after hour cannot be good for you. Now, if your mind is is uh, completely formed and your uh, notions of right and wrong are formed, then perhaps it would have a less impact on you. But to tell you the truth, and I quit playing that uh, that game after about two months of being immersed in that, in that world. I made it to the end, and I decided that that was not a healthy pastime. But, you know, uh, these video games are, are responsible for all sorts of ills. That and the pornography that we've allowed to saturate the Internet are totally warping our children's minds. And you can't deny it. And to just sit by um as the the leftists and the libertarians would say, and uh, say, "Well, we can't do anything about this because of freedom of speech, I don't believe is accurate. We protect children from harmful public health hazards, we insist that their parents raise them responsibly, and these things should absolutely uh be rated." X, because they are pornography in the worst sense of the word. They're violent pornography. And children should be absolutely shielded against this to the greatest extent the government can. Oh, Jim, you sound like an authoritarian. Well, not really. I believe the greatest responsibility that we have is the proper raising of our future generations. And we most certainly can make decisions for children who have not yet reached the age of majority. And the government can enforce those decisions. I've got a clip here. I know what people are going to say. Well, you're defending the Second Amendment. What about the First Amendment? The Second Amendment has restrictions on it as well, as does the First Amendment. And those restrictions can be implemented. But one of the restrictions in the Second Amendment that uh, guarantees the right for a free people to keep and bear arms cannot be, we're going to take away your um, right to keep and bear arms. I've got a clip here. This is Franklin Graham, who um, obviously has far greater skills of oratory than I do and and says it much better. Uh, He's appearing... On Fox, I think he was being interviewed by John Stossel, um, and here's what he had to say:
4: We see violence uh, all around us, but in our in our country, John, and in the last uh, thirty forty years, uh, violence has come into our homes uh, in the form of entertainment. And it is it is, you know, when I was growing up, it was guns uh, gun smoke on Marshall Dillon. And he only pulled out his gun to to protect and to save life. And the good guys always won. But it's a far cry from the video games that we have today and what we see on television from from Hollywood. Every night, the gun is glorified. Well, what do you want to do? You want to ban them? Well, you know, we, we have, of course, uh, a constitution, and we, we won't be able to do that. But we certainly can tax them, John. Uh, we, we can tax violence. So why don't we try that? Uh, we, we do that to cigarettes, uh, alcohol. Why not, why not tax violence and give the money to the people that are, that are the victims? Listen, I've had uh, guns all my life. My father gave me my first gun when I was nine years old. Everyone I grew up with had guns, uh, but we didn't go around shooting people. And today... Uh, uh, these young kids want to dress like the actors they see in TV or what they see in these video games. And they arm themselves with these rifles and guns and they go out and they commit these, these killings. It is sick and it, it, it's, it's a clean. Our, Our entire nation has become addicted whoa, whoa, to whoa. for entertainment like the Romans. Uh, I would say it's not good for anybody uh, to to watch murder. These video games, to me, are, are murder simulators, is what they are, and it's, it's very dangerous, John. Very dangerous.
0: They're murder simulators and they're murder trainers, and it's a testament to uh, the innate good of most people that uh, children are able to overcome this training. But as I say, a goodly number are going to fall victim to it, and uh, that's what's happened. In numerous of these school shootings, these um, vulnerable and in many cases uh, adrift kids are left to sit for hours and develop no social skills, no sense of empathy, no distinctions between right and wrong. And their whole world is wrapped up in these violent video game first shooters. And then we're surprised. When they act out and they don't show any capacity for humanity or compassion, I really think uh, that our uh generation has so advocated and uh, shirked its responsibility to protect the innocence of the next generation when it comes to these uh, these new technologies like uh, video games and internet distribution of pornography, that it is, a, uh, it is a shame on the nation. And children are dying because of it. And we need to start being serious about addressing these issues. And if, if you're one of these liberals that says, oh, well, the way to address it is just to allow our children to become as uh, um, as inhumane and twisted as possible, by playing these games, but the solution is to take away your weapons, then I invite you to, uh, to have the courage of your convictions and try to amend the Constitution. Short of that, we need to do the things we can do, and one of the ways we can do it is by cleaning up the cesspool of our popular culture. Well... The New York Times got its its uh, grubby little hands. Well, before we go there, let me uh, let me do a real quick commercial. Are you? Um, are you? Do you agree with abortion? Do you agree with late term abortion? Do you agree with these sanctuary cities? Do you believe in this leftist agenda that uh, allows men to compete against women and all of these other radical? transgender agendas, then I'd ask you a question. Why are you allowing uh, the money that you pay for your cell phone to be used to promote promote these ideas? When you use one of the big cellular's um, services, you need to know that their boards are stacked with these leftists that to direct the charitable giving of these big cellular companies To causes that most Americans and I, and I believe you probably disagree with. Well, there's a new company called Patriot Mobile. And when you transfer your service there and they're willing to waive the activation fee, they'll use uh, their charitable giving to support conservative causes. Call 1-800-APATRIOT-PATRIOT. That's 1-800-APATRIOT and use the discount code MOJO50. They've got rates, uh, uh, plans that start at $25 a month for unlimited calls and texts. I hear the break coming up. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the New York Times getting its hands on Trump's tax returns. And we're going to talk about these uh, this trade dispute and Trump's Threats to re-implement 25% tariffs on Chinese exports to the United States. And I say, just do away with trade with China. We'll be back after two commercial breaks. Stick with me on Right Now with Jim Dawes.
3: Check out schwanns.com/yum for details.
0: And you're back on the Mojo Five-O Radio Network on Right Now with Jim Dawes, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. You know, one of the hallmarks of Washington, D.C. is their absolutely absolute inability to learn from their mistakes. And there is no bigger example of that than the fact that we are still trading with a communist Chinese dictatorship after transferring trillions of dollars of American wealth from our country to theirs and losing tens of millions of good middle-class manufacturing jobs. And one of the main reasons, along with immigration, that we sent this president to Washington was to break through this logjam and stop the hemorrhaging of our American prosperity, wealth, and jobs to China. And this president has made that one of his top agendas and he's he's trying to to realign this relationship. And China has, is doing what they have constantly done. They negotiate, they agree to terms, they break the agreement, they go back and they do it all again. And Trump just this week, Notice that in the lead up to the final trade negotiations, China was reneging on the agreement that they'd made to stop stealing Americans' intellectual property and realized that they were going to come into these these negotiations with the intent of, of using the same uh, shell game, the same okey-doke, that they have used on previous American presidents that has worked so well for them. And Trump, after initially uh, uh, delaying his promise to impose 25% tariffs on about 325, uh, no, 200 billion billion worth of Chinese imports to the United States, said that uh, on Friday they will go back into effect if China doesn't start agreeing to uh, the previous terms and finalize this deal. I would say, and I've said this many times, you may be getting tired of hearing it. We have no business trading at all with a communist Chinese dictatorship that is oppressing their people and exporting their oppressive uh, ideology around the world and challenging the United States militarily. If anybody had promoted these types of policies with the old Soviet Union during the Cold War, they would rightly be called a traitor. And yet there's such a thirst in our establishment for unlimited supplies of cheap labor that here we are having built China up from basically a third world agrarian society barely able to feed itself to a military and economic superpower. And you're damn right. We ought to have tariffs at least 25%. I would say more. If they want to continue to um, have access to the U.S. market, we need to do it in such a way where it benefits American consumers to the absolute uh, greatest extent and punishes their manufacturers. And have no doubt, these economists – that tell you that oh, just American taxpayers are, or American consumers are going to be paying that tariff. That's bull. In the economy as it's structured now, other countries would move in to undercut the Chinese price of American or of goods imported into America, and instead of building up a communist Chinese dictatorship, we could build up other democracies such as India. Now, I would prefer to have protectionist policies that uh, take care of American businesses so we can all have shared prosperity. This idea that you're just going to put all of your eggs on cheap consumer goods while at the same time letting wages stagnate has been proven to be a huge, huge mistake. One reason is you can only stuff your house with so many cheap imported goods from China. But even if we were going to continue this globalist regime, there are other uh, nations that we can trade with, with just as great access to cheap labor, such as I, as I said, India. India goes to great lengths to have a, an elected democracy in a, a nation that I think has passed China as the most populous nation in the world. If they haven't surpassed them already, uh, they're getting very close to doing that. So I got a couple of clips here. This is uh, um, Curtis Ellis, who is an expert and uh, trade advisor for the Trump administration, speaking with Kennedy over at Fox News
1: now, former Trump campaign trade and jobs senior advisor, Curtis Ellis, is here. Uh, So, Curtis, when did the wheels fall off the wagon in terms of some of these intellectual property theft issues with Beijing?
5: It's when China reverted to form Mm -hmm. and started backtracking on all the promises they had made.
1: That's right, because that had pretty much been settled in the talks.
5: Yes, there were a lot of very substantive issues that it looked like they were settled. And then the Chinese started to renege and backtrack. And this is what the Chinese have done for the last 30, 40 years. They make a promise and never fulfill it. They made certain commitments when they were brought into the World Trade Organization. They never lived up to those commitments. Mm -hmm. The World Trade Organization cited them in 2006 for not allowing American credit card companies to sell their products in in China. Mm -hmm. China said, "Okay, we'll allow that. To this day, they're still not allowed to do that. So when that happened, Ambassador Bob Lighthizer, our U.S. trade negotiator, mm-hmm. the toughest guy on the block, he said,
0: All hail Robert Lighthizer. He has been a true champion for American workers, businesses, ranchers, and farmers. And uh, along with the Coalition for a Prosperous America, are really fighting a David and Goliath fight against the moneyed interests in Washington DC that like the status quo, they're perfectly willing to continue to transfer the wealth out of middle America to the establishment on wall street and to communist China. And just thank God for Donald Trump and Robert Lighthizer and Peter Navarro and these other American patriots that are finally in a position to push back on these, I would call them, traitorous trade agreements that we've negotiated with the red China.
5: Enough of this already. We've been jerked around long enough. These tariffs were supposed to go into effect on January 1st. We put them off till March 1st. Mm -hmm. We've delayed them yet again. And the Chinese are just stringing us along. They have a new tough customer to deal with now. His name is Donald J. Trump. And
1: and he is far less predictable than uh, past presidents. And one of the issues is compliance, because China is saying, uh, hey, man, if we comply, you got to lift the tariffs right away because they need the economic boost. They really do. They
5: need the money. They need the cash because they're spending money like drunken sailors building this belt and road in this trying to rope countries in around the world on these infrastructure projects that are really thinly disguised military projects.
0: Mm. Port. They're knee-deep in Venezuela, by the way. They're buying up port facilities in the Caribbean right there on our front doorstep. Whatever happened to the Monroe Doctrine? It's pretty hard for the United States to make the argument that uh, people ought to stay out of our backyard and leave the Western Hemisphere to democratic rule when we're over in uh, everybody else's backyards mucking around.
5: Uh, broadband, which is actually cyber espionage, all kinds of things like that under this so-called Belt and Road Initiative. They need hard cash, so they need our money. Mm -hmm. So will will
1: it work? I mean, they want to save face, and uh, the Chinese state-run media is saying China will not capitulate. We will not have a gun held to our head. We will not agree to these terms. What gets them back to the table and gets the tariffs lifted?
5: Uh, A dose of reality Mm -hmm. when they realize that they need our money, that their economy is look their economy is falling apart they've been propped up by selling into the US consumer market and our transfer of wealth to them through the consumer market as well as through their wholesale theft mm-hmm. is what has propped up this totalitarian regime now if they want to have access to our market they have to play by our rules of free market yeah, they-
0: i don't think i think we should have a policy that is designed to keep china down you remember? Uh, I guess it was uh, Obama that uh, spoke at uh, one of these international events and said the United States is not interested in keeping China down. Can you imagine American president during the Cold War going overseas and and saying we're not uh, we're not trying to keep the Soviet Union down while the Soviet Union was repressing its people and keeping dozens of nations oppressed? behind the Iron Curtain, it would have been unthinkable. But the bottom line on the next quarterly report is the first and foremost concern of the Wall Street bankers, and they're willing to um, put concerns about human rights and freedom aside if they can have access to unlimited supplies of cheap labor. And as I said, the real ironic thing is they can have they could have access to cheap labor if that's if that's all they cared about. It's not all I care about, but if that's all they cared about, there are plenty of democratic nations that you could do this to or do the do these trade deals with. It's absolute insanity what's gone on for the last thirty years now. Here's Steve Bannon who was uh, the architect of uh, Trump's campaign, America First campaign, a major part of which was to reform, reform these disastrous trade deals.
6: I happen to think today was the most important day of Donald Trump's presidency. Really? Yes. Listen, he's president of the United States because...
0: I didn't set that up as I should. He's appearing uh, on Fox Business with Lou Dobbs.
6: I happen to think today was the most important day of Donald Trump's presidency. Really? Yes. Listen, he's president of the United States because of the rejection of working class people and middle class people about managed decline of our country at the hands of people like Hillary Clinton. The Clinton Global Initiative, the you know, the, the whole Clinton apparatus. These globalists and elitists are, were very comfortable with the managed decline, particularly vis-a-vis the rise of China. And Donald Trump confronted that, particularly in the upper Midwest. Mm -hmm. This is the reason he won states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin. People understand, like J.D. Vance, the great sociologist who wrote the book, Hillbilly Allergies. The factories went to China, the jobs went to China, and the opioids came in. And so I think Trump understands that tariffs are more than than taxes. They're about self-empowerment of the working class. Today, he said that President Xi and the Chinese apparatus, which continually, whether it's Clinton, Bush, or Obama, the permanent political class. They've tapped along, reneged on every deal they've had. Trump said, I'm not going to do this. You're not going to come back and retrade us. I'm going to hit you with the tariffs. And I think this is a very big week in American economic history.
0: It absolutely is. And I would just urge the president and uh, his trade negotiating team to stay tough. I really do not care at all if we do uh, Instead of having uh, some sort of renewed trade agreement with China, just forego that market and uh, and ins- institute these tariffs on all Chinese goods, at least twenty five percent. China's got to be stopped now; otherwise, our children and grandchildren are have to be dealing with a all powerful uh, communist dictatorship. Well, have you ordered your Mother's Day gift? If you haven't, I'd urge you to go on to uh, blazewildrice.com and order this Minostalgia gift crate for mom. This is probably the last day you're going to be able to do it in time to get uh, it delivered by Mother's Day. And uh, this is just a fabulous crate. It's got wild rice pancake mix with all-natural maple syrup that is just delicious, hazelnut honey, delicious blueberry jam and a scented candle instead of flowers or candy why not send mom a healthy alternative of these all-natural products go to blazewildrice.com today and use promo code mom10 that's pro- promo code mom10 to save 10 percent on this fabulous mother's day crate so before the break I was uh, uh teasing that uh the New York Times got its grubby little hands on Donald Trump's tax returns from the uh the 80s to the 90s a 10-year period they didn't get their hands on the actual returns but they got their hands on the printout of the numbers which would lead you to believe that this is somebody in the IRS that violated the law and turned their these uh, records over to a media organization that then published them. Now, what does that sound like? Hmm. Oh, that sounds kind of like what WikiLeaks did. Julian Assange got his hands on illegally obtained uh, Democrat National Committee and John Podesta emails. And publish them, and you've got uh, the United States now trying to extradite Julian Assange and bring him to the United States to face charges well why and and, and the uh, the supposed champions of First Amendment press protections over there at the New York Times are all on board with denying that Julian Assange is doing the same exact thing that they did in this case with Trump's tax returns and, by the way, that they did during the Vietnam War with the Pentagon Papers. Because, you see, there are acceptable leaks that hurt uh, Republicans and there are unacceptable leaks like the ones Julian Assange engaged in that hurt the chosen one, Hillary Clinton. So they published these uh, these this tax data, and it showed that during this 10-year period, Donald Trump suffered huge losses and paid no taxes. And guess what? This may come as news to the New York Times. I'm, I'm actually sure that it doesn't. But most real estate developers don't pay much in taxes, if at all, because the whole business of real estate requires such huge investments that you end up rolling over your business enterprise from uh, one investment to another and almost always showing a loss on paper. But they, uh, they also fail to point out that during that period of time, Donald Trump was the premier real estate developer in New York city. And it just so happens that during that period of time, the real estate market in New York City crashed. And this is a hat tip to, um, to Breitbart, who is the author of this piece. John Carney. He says, the epic crash in New York City real estate, which had battered Trump's investments and left many of its fellow real estate investors clinging to a lifeline of insolvency, was finally over. Prices of New York real estate, which had fallen in each of the previous five years, had finally started to rise again. Apartment retail prices fell by 15% during the slump. The prices of co-ops were down by nearly twice that much. And homes in Manhattan fell by 33% between 1989 and 1996. In the area where Trump was heavily invested, in Chelsea, Chelsea, and Hell's Kitchen, home prices had fallen by 40%. The giant real estate company Olympia in York had been forced into bankruptcy. They had been, prior to that, the largest landlord in New York. Banks were getting crushed. New Jersey's largest savings and loan was seized by federal regulators, and Wall Street was scrambling With real estate king Goldman Sachs finding that they could no longer raise money for real estate projects. Even Goldman, which had dominated business on Wall Street, the masters of the universe. They were telling many of their real estate bankers to look for new jobs. But Trump had weathered it and made it through the worst New York City real estate in living memory. He outperformed bigger, deeper-pocketed rivals that had failed. Yet according to the New York Times, detailing glimpses into Trump's finances and tax transcripts from 1985 to 1994, Trump's personal financial losses during the New York City real estate crisis somehow mark him as a colossal failure instead of someone who had persevered through this this economy. This is a quote from the New York Times. Mr. Trump was propelled to the presidency in part by a self-spun narrative of business successes and of setbacks triumphantly overcome. He had attributed his first run of reversals and bankruptcies to the recession that took hold in 1990, but 10 years of tax information obtained by the New York Times paints a different and far bleaker picture of his deal-making abilities and financial condition. So Trump, who outperformed almost everybody else that was heavily invested in New York's real estate and came through it and was able to rebuild as somehow a failure. I would like to see the New York Times real estate. uh, I mean, uh, the New York Times tax returns. You know, the New York Times was on the brink of insolvency when they had to sell them to foreign investors, and now you have the so-called paper of record in the United States, having one of its, uh, its, uh, well, its number one shareholder, Carlos Slim of Mexico. The Breitbart story goes on. The story goes on to describe how Trump reported negative income, meaning he lost money every year from 85 to 94, the big losses, however, come during the years of 1990 through 94 with 90 and 91 showing up as the worst. In other words, this time story shows that Trump's business of real estate investing in and around New York City suffered massive losses in the, in the years <clears throat> when New York City real estate crashed. Surprise, surprise. The Times story on Trump's taxes does not include the condition of New York real estate market for those years, although every link to data in the article is to articles in the New York Times. This is not the first time the Times has declared Trump was a business failure. In 1991, when the losses of the New York Times reported on this week were mounting, when the losses that the New York Times reported on this week were mounting. Times columnist Floyd Norris declared that Trump's financial troubles meant that the Trump aura will never be the same. For Mr. Trump, Norris goes on, Fed easing might not help that much. Bankers may not be fast learners, but they do catch on. For him, the era of easy credit is unlikely to ever return. Unquote. As it turns out, that announcement of the financial death of Donald Trump by the New York Times back in 1991 was greatly exaggerated. As claims made decade, decades later, to this day, that Trump could not possibly win the 2016 presidential election. So Trump sent out some tweets that, yes, I claimed a decade's worth of losses when the market's down and crashing, that's what you have to do. You have to reinvest. You have to consolidate and you have to try to survive. And what he did in these tax returns was exactly what any responsible real estate developer would have done and what thousands of others did as well. The only difference being that like many Of these major real estate development countries, uh, companies, Donald Trump survived it. We've just got a little time left. I want to talk about the situation in Venezuela. You know, uh, a lot of conservatives, and I read them in the National Review, so-called conservatives at the National Review and Amcon Magazine and others, are absolutely determined that we stay out of Venezuela. And to the greatest degree possible, I agree with that. Except at the same time we stay out of Venezuela, we may have to make darn sure that Russia and China do not gain a foothold for yet another communist regime. This one right here in our own backyard, similar to, to Cuba. Venezuela is a a highly prized um, takeover target for China and Russia because it is sitting on the largest oil reserves on Earth, bigger than the United States, bigger than the Saudi Arabia. They've thoroughly mismanaged it because they instituted socialism and went from the most prosperous nation in South America to a basket case almost overnight. I don't have time to play this clip from John Stossel, but it, uh, I will. We'll talk about this on a future program. But we absolutely have to keep Russia and China out, and if that means blockading their ports from Russia and China uh, flagships or Cuban flagships then that's exactly what we should do. Now they'll, they will interpret that as an act of war. I, um, I think that's the position we're in at this point. You can make a good argument that we would, uh, we, Russia would not be here in our backyard mucking around if we had not gone over there in their own backyard of Ukraine doing the same thing. But we shouldn't intervene in Venezuela. But we also should never accept the continuation of this Maduro government, if it is going to become a client state of Russia or China. China or South America is already um, receptive, overly receptive. Many nations to socialism because their economies are such messes and the people are desperate for a lifeline. We need to promote free enterprise and capitalism down there. We need to make darn sure the communist regime of China stays out and we need to tell uh, Russia, uh, yes, we want better relations. And the beginning of that is, you keep your hands off Venezuela, and we need to stay out of Russia's business as well. Man, there's so many stories that I wanted to get to today. I'm going to be traveling for the next couple of days to Oxford, Mississippi to attend the graduation of my youngest daughter from Old Miss, and uh, we will be playing a couple of best of programs while I'm gone, and I hope you will tune in. We're going to have some great interviews and timeless segments available for you. I want to thank you for joining us again today on Right Now with Jim Dawes and invite you back again on the Mojo 50 Radio Network.